0: Praise God, Father, we thank you for the opportunity to speak once again. And we thank you for your presence this morning. And we pray, God, that your holy anointing would flow through God this sermon today, that your heart would flow through my lips. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to speak to you for a few moments on the cares of motherhood. Last evening, I put on the internet... There's a new movement rising in the world called Birth Strike in which women will refuse to have children. One political activist in our state basically questions why children should be born. Is motherhood in danger of slowly becoming extinct because of the new religious movement of global warming that preaches the world will end in 12 years? Are the abortion laws and this new movement an attempt to deny what the Bible teaches to be fruitful and multiply? Will mothers and motherhood be frowned upon and considered sinful and heretical, shaming women in their desire to want children? Mothers and maternal instinct. From an early age, little girls play house, and they play with your Bobby dolls. Is this wired into their DNA? Is this significant and related to the mother instinct? How would you define the mother instinct? I define it as protecting, nurturing, bonding, the connection of two souls. Perseverance selflessness, it's love, it's intuition concerning the needs and wants of a baby. It's sympathy, it's empathy, it's a knowing and an understanding what a baby needs. It's called maternal love. In Genesis chapter 1 and verse 28, the Bible says, And God blessed man, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply, And replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moved upon the earth. It was a command of God. In Genesis chapter 9 verse 1 after the flood, the Bible said, And God blessed Noah and his sons and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. As we know, the sin of Adam and Eve in the garden caused some problems and a curse to come upon the world. And upon women it says in Genesis
1: 3:16, unto
0: the woman he said I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. There is pain in childbirth. It's a result of the curse that came upon Adam and Eve. However, in John chapter 16 and verse 21, the Bible says, And when a woman, when she is in travail, has sorrow, because her hour is come, about to give birth, but as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembereth no more the anguish for joy that a man is born into the world. Is motherhood easy? No. Is there pain associated with a child being born? Yes. But God chooses mothers because they are a special person who can love and persevere under the most severe circumstances. These special women rise to the occasion even when all odds are against them. Yet in society today, we are denouncing motherhood, and we're telling women to walk away from their babies through abortion. Society is telling women to birth strike and no longer follow the spiritual admonition of God to be fruitful and multiply. Politicians are declaring that children are not necessary. The words of Isaiah the prophet are coming to pass in this present day. But know this, that God does not forget the conception and birth of a child. Isaiah the prophet said in Isaiah chapter 49 and verse 15, Can a woman forget her sucking child, that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Yea, they may forget, but God says, Yet will I not forget thee. Remember this. God knows every child that's been conceived in a mother's womb. Because it's God who is there according to the Psalms to orchestrate that conception and birth and development of that child. Now motherhood has its challenges. And sometimes there's despair as you're raising a child. In Genesis chapter 21 and verse 14, Abraham was given a decision. That he hated to make. And Abraham rose up early in the morning. And took bread and a bottle of water. And gave it to Hagar. Putting it on her shoulder. And the child. And sent her away. And she departed and wandered into the wilderness of Beersheba. What happened here? Ishmael was born. Sarah tried to help God. And told Abraham to go into the concubine. And he did and she became pregnant. And as a result Ishmael was born. And by the time Isaac was born, Ishmael might have been 12 or 13 years old. He found, as Isaac was getting older, he started to mock Isaac. And Sarah could not handle the mocking of her son, Isaac. And she told Abraham, you must remove this woman and this child, which was his son, from our presence. And Abraham did that. And Hagar found herself in the wilderness. But God did not forsake her. In the despair that she was experiencing, God said that he would raise a great nation through Ishmael, her son. And he rescued her. Sometimes death takes place. Unbeknownst to a mom who gives birth to a child. Sometimes something happens. We don't have all the explanations of whys and wherefores. But in the Old Testament, in 2 Kings chapter 4, and verse 18, the Bible says that when the child was grown, it fell on a day that he went out to his father's in the reapers. And he said to his father, My head, my head, and he said to a lad, Carry him to his mother. And when he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees until noon and then died. The story here is about the prophet of God who visited this woman. And she built a little room for the prophet and his servant. And the prophet said to his servant, What can I do concerning the kindness of this woman? And I think the servant perhaps surveyed her house and found no pictures of children. No pictures of posterity. No pictures of grandchildren. And the prophet of God said to the servant, Bring her to the entrance of my door. And he said to the woman, This time next year, Thou shalt give birth to a son. And that son was born. But again, the challenges of motherhood took place. He grew. He went into the fields with his dad. And he fell faint one day. And the servant brought this young boy back to his mom. And right there he died in her lap. The woman of God placed the child in a room. She did not tell her husband where she was going. She just notified him for the servant to get two horses. One for the servant and one for her. And the man of God, the husband said, it's not the Sabbath day. Is it time to go to church? And she said, no, sir. She did not tell him about the death of the child. She kept it to herself. But that woman was on a mission. You see, moms are on a mission. Come on. Moms have the sixth sense. Moms have intuition. Moms just know. She got on that horse and she said to her servant, don't give me any slack. I can ride as fast as you, sir. And she said, we are going to visit the prophet that prophesied to me about this child. And all of a sudden, the prophet sees this woman coming and says, hey, I know who she is. Tells his servant, go find out what's going on. She says, as he asked her, how's everything? And she said, it's well with my soul. That's the faith of a mother. But she said, my son, who you prophesied and told me I would have, is now dead in a room in my house. So the prophet sends his servant to go heal the child and bring him back to life. But you know, that didn't work. And the woman of God said, no. I want the man of God. I want the prophet of God to come. And you know the story. He laid upon the child and the child came back to life. But sometimes despair and death take place in the life of motherhood. Sometimes sacrifice has to take place. The Bible said in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 17, Wherefore the sin of the young men were very great before the Lord. For men abhorred the offering of the Lord, but Samuel ministered before the Lord, being a child girded with a linen ephod. Moreover, his mother made him a little coat and brought it to him from year to year when she came up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. This mother cried for a child. This mother's womb was barren. But she cried unto God, and she conceived, and she had Samuel for a son. But she told God, I will dedicate my son to the house of God after he is weaned. In those days, children were weaned, possibly after three years. And the sacrifice of motherhood, she sent that child to the house of God to be under the tutelage of Eli, the priest. Once a year, they would take up the coat. Once a year, they would visit. It was a sacrifice. And motherhood sometimes demands sacrifice, Motherhood sometimes has to stare despair and possibly death, God forbid, in the face. Sometimes sickness becomes a concern for motherhood. In Matthew chapter 15 and verse 22 it says, And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto Jesus, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. She was concerned about the sickness and the plight. Of her daughter. And Jesus healed that child. Sometimes there's bewilderment in motherhood. In John chapter 19 and verse 25, it says this Now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. Women at the cross in bewilderment. And sometimes motherhood is attached to bewilderment. We don't have all the answers at that moment. But we know this, that the comfort of God will come. Because motherhood is perseverance. Motherhood is love. Motherhood is a bonding. Motherhood is a nurturing. Motherhood is faith in God to do what God said He can do. So last week we spoke about the Jewish people, the Hebrew people, making bricks and mortar. And the Bible says in Exodus chapter 2 and verse 1, And there went a man of the house of Levi... And took a wife, a daughter of Levi. And the woman conceived and bare a son. And when she saw that he was a goodly child, she hid him for three months. We know from last week's sermon that Pharaoh created a law. That all the males born to the Hebrew woman would be killed. And we told you about the two unsung heroes in the Old Testament. The midwives who refused to execute a child that was conceived, that was given birth to by their mom. A mother does not know the trouble that she will go through for a child. She doesn't know what she will face from day to day. A mother conceives in love, bears and gives birth in pain, and dreams and has visions and hope for her goodly child. The faith of a mother depends upon God in extreme circumstances. Sometimes mothers are brought to the brink of despair. Sometimes they're brought to the brink of bewilderment. Sometimes they're brought to the place of discouragement. And a mother has to depend upon God in extreme circumstances. The Bible says in Romans ten seventeen. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. The Bible says in Hebrews eleven twenty three. 23, By faith Moses, when he was born, and hid three months of his parents, because they saw that he was a proper child, and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. Amen. They walked in faith. Come on. They walked in the spirit of the living God, both mom and dad comes to this place in the book of Exodus, chapter 2 and verse 2. And the woman conceived and bare a son, and when she saw that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months. She hid him. We have to set limits for our children. We have to ask questions like, when, where, how, and why? What are you talking about? In Exodus chapter 2 and verse 3. And when she could no longer hide him. She took for him an ark of bulrushes. And dabbed it with slime and with pitch. And put the child therein. And she laid it in the flags by the river's brink. This is very interesting. Because the Bible talks about this ark. It's the same exact word. That was used. For Noah's Ark in the Hebrew. Same exact word. Used two times in the Old Testament. The Ark was basically a box. That typified a certain amount of space. Early in life a mother must learn to set limits with the child. The concept of discipline versus permissiveness. Must be addressed early in child rearing. Amen. We must raise the standard in our homes concerning the expectations we have for our children. We cannot follow the patterns of the world that allow the influence to come in and infiltrate our homes, our families, and our churches. We must say no to the patterns of the world that are trying to pollute and infiltrate the souls of our children and our homes. The Bible says... In 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5. Concerning a grandmother and a mother. Listen to the words. 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 5. Paul said and wrote, When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee. Talking about Timothy. Which first dwelt in thy grandmother Lois. And thy mother Eunice. And I am persuaded that in thee also. We don't know that. There was an earthly father in Timothy's life at that time. Paul the Apostle became a spiritual dad. But Paul reminds Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 14. And he says this to the young man. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned. From who? From his grandmother and from his mother. Praise God. And hast been assured of of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. And that from a child that has known the holy scriptures. From a child which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for influence and in instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. I want to tell you something, ladies and gentlemen, the standard is still the Bible. And when we teach our children the holy word of God, they will know the truth from the lie, they will know the truth from deception, but we must teach them, praise God, from the cradle praise God from the moment they are born we must speak into their spirit the things of God and teach them the word of God 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 15 says study to show thyself approved unto God a workman that needeth not to be ashamed rightly dividing the word of truth how can a child do that if he's not schooled and trained in the word of God amen Exodus chapter 2, verse 3, when she could no longer hide him. She took him into an ark of bulrushes and dabbed it with slime and with pitch and put the child therein and she laid it in the flags by the river's brink. She put him where? She put him in an ark. It's a vessel. As Noah built the ark, this woman of God, these parents, placed this child in a basket By faith, because they can no longer hide him. The Bible said they put him in the bulrushes, the stalks, and the water, and dabbed that ark. The word dab means to seal up, to cover or smear with asphalt. And it says with slime. And the word slime means to boil or to foam up. It's pitch, it's asphalt. And it's all connected to the word pitch. And the word pitch means to liquefy. It was a tar. It was an asphalt. And God instructed Moses' parents to take that ark and somehow boil or whatever they had to do and cause this tar to become liquefied. And they smeared it all over that ark. But there was a double meaning. That smearing of the pitch meant an atonement for sin. It meant reconciliation. God covering the ark as he did in Noah's ark. God covering them. Praise God. Covering them from sin. God covering them from drowning in the water. That boat stayed afloat so that Noah's family did not drown in the water. And God created an ark for this mom and dad. And put Moses in this box, in this ark. And knew that the child would not drown. The Lord gave me this. We must continually smear on the values and morals taught in the word of God onto our children. Amen. We must smear on what has not been accepted the first time. Children don't get it the first time. It's a series of corrections. They will challenge you. They will talk back to you. they innate behavior a sinful nature will try to have their own way and control the parent environment so sometimes we have to smear on what's not been accepted numerous times it's the same process we go through with God we don't get it the first time he has to smear it upon us over and over and over sometimes the smearing on process seems never ending but it must be continued Pitch gets hard after a while. And this represents the hard principles we must teach our children. We must teach them the hard principles of the Bible. Can you think of what some hard principles are pertaining to life? One that comes to my mind immediately is when a child replies to his parents and says, It's not fair. All the other kids are doing it. (laughs) It's a hard principle to explain to a child. That we're different. We go by a different code. We go by a different book. And when a child says it's not fair. My friends are allowed to do certain things. These are hard principles in life. That we have to smear on to their soul. But the pitch does soften. When the sun hits the asphalt and the tar. It softens in the heat of the sun, S-U-N. But the hard principles we teach our children, and when they allow God's wisdom to come in from their parent and from their mom and dad, those hard principles that they saw at first, hard principles, their heart begins to soften as the Son of God begins to melt that hard pitch and those hard principles so now that it's accepted, into their soul and into their spirit. This has happened to all of us that have grown up. We were teenagers and we thought we knew everything, and we thought our parents were dinosaurs. Until you grew up and you got married and you had children, and you look beyond your shoulder and you said, Pop was right. I didn't believe him when I was sixteen years old. Mom was right. I didn't accept her wisdom. I thought I knew everything. Now it's your turn as a parent. Now it's your challenge. Now it's you coming to the table and stepping up to the plate and saying, now I have to be the parent. A woman of faith does the following. She hides the child in birth. She hides the child in infancy. She gives up the child when the child is older. What do you mean by that? Motherhood has some hard concepts to digest. There are seasons and cycles to child-rearing, and it's a never-ending process from the cradle to the grave. But there's a moment in the life of a child that that child has to begin to be weaned from its mother and dependence. Example for a boy. Boys are very attached to their moms. And dad is sort of out of the picture. And if you're not careful, in a home, dad gets displaced. We call it displacement. For example, two people marry, they love each other, and they get attention from each other. Woman gets pregnant, woman has a child. Everyone visits the hospital. What a beautiful baby. My mom, you're so courageous. 18 hours in labor, 24 hours in labor. Wow, you've done a great job. And she did Where's dad? Usually sitting in the corner somewhere. Everybody giving accolades to mom and praising mom. And that's wonderful. And everybody's making a fuss over the baby. Now, dad is no longer number one. Dad has taken a seat to the side. And for the next few years, if a wife isn't careful, that displacement will turn into passivity. And that displacement will cause a man to disappear from the marriage. Then another child is born, and displacement takes place again and again. And dad becomes a very silent figure. There comes a time in the life of a boy, for a spe- especially. He's attached to his mom. Mom breastfeeds, mom changes his diaper, mom does all these great things. She walks the floor with him at night. But now the child looks upon his dad. It's a sacrifice that a mother has to make to break that attachment somewhat and say, spend time with your dad. Go play ball, go to the shop. Boys like to wrestle. Boys are aggressive simply because they're boys. And we have to be careful that we don't allow our sons, especially, to grow up to be soft. We must be very careful to make the transference from a mom to the dad. So there's an identification with the male. Same thing with daughters. There has to be something taking place. There has to be a separation after a while. Because the ultimate goal of motherhood is to cause independence upon that child so that that child isn't always dependent upon you. That's right. We're finding that in society today. We're finding that this current generation doesn't want to leave home, wants to stay home, wants to live in their mommy's basement. It used to be years ago, people couldn't wait to get out of the house. Now they don't want to leave. They really don't want to grow up. What's the fruits of a mother's labor? Listen to what happened To Moses' mom. In Exodus chapter 2 verse 4. And his sister Miriam. Stood afar off to wit what would be done to him. Here's a young girl. Raised in a religious spiritual home. These people knew what they were doing. They followed the spirit of God. These parents knew exactly the voice of God. When, where and how to do it. And they placed that child in that ark and they put that child in the water. And what did the little girl do? She followed that ark down the river. Let me say this about the ark. I think a problem with society today is we're not setting limits for our children. Come on. Hear me for a moment. That ark had so much space. And that three-month child was limited to the space that he occupied. I remember when I was a little boy, we had a gate in front of our house in Brooklyn. It was the concrete jungle. There was cars up and down the street outside. My mother looked at me and she said, When you go outside on the porch... And you walk down what we call the stoop, the steps. You said, You see that gate? Yes, ma'am. You don't go outside that gate by yourself. Your response was, ma'am, yes, ma'am. There was no back talk. There was no you don't understand. My friends are playing across the street. I don't want to be corralled inside of a fence. We learn to listen to what our parents said. It was their command. It was an order. Don't violate the rules and regulations of our home. And don't disrespect your parents. Never sass your mother. Never talk back. Never sass your dad. Listen, you were stupid if you didn't learn that lesson when you were young in the era that I grew up in. We don't set limits for kids anymore. We we'll let them do what they want in society. I watch, I go to the store, and I see parents negotiating with their child as they're being kicked and spit upon because they want Fruit Loops in the cereal aisle. The kid is already a Fruit Loop. Why do you want to give him Fruit Loops? He's already that way. But screaming and kicking and nagging and having a temper tantrum. And I have a hard time not responding to that. And I have to keep on walking. Mm -hmm. Because I don't want to open up my mouth and get myself in trouble. But it's grievous. When I went to someone's home when I was a boy, I tell this to my wife. Before we left to go visit anyone, my mother, she was just a short little lady. She would take that finger and point it in my face real close. And she said, young man, here's the rules. When you go to someone's house, you sit on a chair, you be quiet, and if they ask you if you want anything, you look to us, to mom or dad, and we'll tell you yes or no. That's not a wonder in my neighborhood. They said to my mother, Mrs. Colombo, you have the most well-behaved child, children, in the neighborhood. You know why? Because in the broom closet, I know this is frowned upon nowadays. My father had a bag like the policeman carried. And there was cat-o'-nine-tailed made of leather on that bag. I can still smell the broom closet. (laughs) And all it took was one time for your mom to whip your legs. With those cat-o'-nine-tails. And you got it. I have to admit, I told my mother some things in her old age that I did when I was a kid. My brother and I slept in the same room in twin beds. And when we'd aggravate mom to the place where the broom closet opened, I used to tell my brother, here's what you do when mom comes in. Because mom always stands at the foot of the bed. I said, if you stand up on the bed and you put your back to the wall, Mom will not be able to reach you with the cat and 9 tails (laughs) Well, my mother, who loved us so dearly, started laughing when we stood up and our backs were against the wall. She couldn't help but laugh and say, Stop! She would laugh to the point of tears sometimes. But we understood what she was trying to teach us and say to us. We learned how to make our bed... We learn how to do laundry. We learn how to iron. We learn how to sew buttons. We learn how to cook. Listen, I was raised in a boot camp. I was raised in a boot camp. Sir, yes, sir. Ma'am, yes, ma'am. That's the way it was. What's happened to us in society? We've run wild. Our kids are going crazy. We are losing a whole generation of children from the church world. Miriam and Aaron were raised in the admonition of the Lord and were principal characters along with Moses in the Old Testament. Her watching that ark go down the river was not by accident, what it was by divine appointment. Your children and grandchildren are not by accident, but by divine appointment. And as Miriam was watching and traveling down the river, overseeing the ark which contained her baby brother, so too does God go down the river of life with us and with our children, praise God, watching what's going on and make sure that the ark doesn't drown. My friend, God has divine providence and there is destiny in our lives. God longs for posterity. God longs for your family to be part of God's family. We must have a plan to protect and provide for our posterity. We must not allow spiritual abortion. Come on, I said we must not allow spiritual abortion to take place in our homes and our families and our churches. Too many parents are spiritually aborting their children by not teaching them God's word and not bringing them to the house of God. It's spiritual abortion. We can say all we want about the physical abortion, and it's an abomination unto God, but what about the spiritual abortion that's taking place in the homes of America? How many people are in church today with their children across our great land? Mm -hmm. Church attendance has declined drastically in America. And maybe in five or ten years, that'll almost be extinct of people going to the house of God. We're losing a generation of children. And the question remains, what will be the spiritual condition of our country in years to come if this trend continues? The Bible says in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 12, honor thy father and thy mother. This is part of the commandments. What does it mean to honor? It means to respect, to have all. To have reverence for your parents that brought you into this world. You didn't just get where you are by accident. You didn't change your own diaper. You didn't feed yourself as a baby. You couldn't even go potty. You went in your pants. And to your mother, persevering taught you how to use the restroom. And today, children raise up against their parents and disrespect them. You know, there's an old saying, when children are young, they step on your feet, and when they get older, they step on your heart. It's a heartbreak for a mom that labored, that brought you into the world. This is the cures of motherhood. Deuteronomy chapter 5.16 says this, Honor thy father and thy mother. Listen to the words. As the Lord thy God has commanded thee, that thy days may be prolonged. And that it might be well with thee in the land which the Lord thy God given. What's he saying? You can add years to your life if you respect and honor your mom and your dad. That's a command. But it also is saying that you can shorten your life if you dishonor your parents. It's so important to teach children honor. It's so important to teach children how to respect their parents. How to respect their grandparents. How to respect their family. How to respect their siblings. It's called discipline. It's called teaching. It's called setting limits. The Bible says in Proverbs one eight, "My son, hear the instruction of thy father, and forsake not the law of thy mother." Proverbs four three, "For I was my father's son, tender and only beloved in the sight of my mother." Proverbs six twenty, "My son, keep thy father's commandments, and forsake not the law of thy mother." Proverbs 10.1, the, the Proverbs of Solomon. A wise son maketh a glad father, but a foolish son is the heaviness of his mother. A foolish son is the heaviness of his mother. Proverbs 15.20, a wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish man despises his mother. Hmm. Proverbs 20.20 Whoso curseth his father or his mother his lamb shall be put out in obscure darkness. We got to be careful about this respect issue. The Bible says in Proverbs 23.22 Hearken unto thy father that begat thee and despise despise not thy mother when she is old. Don't put her out the pasture. Take care of her. Watch over her as she watched over you in the cradle. Come on, preach. Proverbs twenty three twenty five. Thy father and thy mother shall be glad, and she that bear thee shall rejoice. Mothers should be able to rejoice as they see their children grow. The mother and the maternal instinct is seen early in a young girl, Miriam, and his sister stood afar off to wit what would be done to him in that ark. Now what takes place now is not a coincidence. It's divine providence. Listen, the Bible says in Exodus 2.5, And the daughter of Pharaoh, let that sink in for a moment. The daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself at the river. And her maidens walked along by the river's side. And when she saw the ark, she saw the ark, she was there at the right time. Providence, destiny, not a coincidence. She saw the ark among the flags. She sent her maid to fetch it. And when she had opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the babe wept. And she had compassion on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. Now let's stop right there. Mother instinct. Maternal instinct. The world is trying to annihilate that. The world is trying to dismiss that. The world is trying to say to moms, to women, birth strike. Don't have children. Politicians are telling us Children are not necessary. Someone should have spoke to her parents before she was conceived. And then she wouldn't be necessary. But she wants to speak to women in general. Because she knows it. She's smart now. She's been elected. And she wants to voice her opinion about women and about abortion and about the execution of a child. What's happened here? Pharaoh's daughter went against and defied the law of her father. Her dad was Pharaoh. Her dad said, extinguish the male boy's child of the Hebrew women. She said, no. Why? Because when they fetched that ark out of that river and she heard that child cry, something on the inside of her leaped up. Something called maternal instinct and maternal love. Something called motherhood leaped up on the inside of her and instantly, praise God, she had compassion upon that child. Amen. You know, there's a hormone that flows through women's bodies. It's called oxytocin. And it causes a woman to give milk to breastfeed her child. And when that child begins to suck that breast the first time, that oxytocin is a bond. It's the same bond that happens in marriage when a sexual relationship takes place between a man and a woman. The oxytocin begins to flow through their bodies. And it's a bond. It's a soul bond. And somehow, I have to believe that God activated that oxytocin even though she did not give birth to that child. She heard that child cry and there was an instant bond with that woman and that child. I call that maternal instinct and maternal love of a woman for a baby. Here's what happened. Verse 7. Then said his sister to Pharaoh's daughter because she was running down the river. And she was watching where her brother was going. And she was raised in a spiritual home. She learned God's word. She learned the voice of God. And she came, the sister, to Pharaoh's daughter and said, Shall I go and call to thee a nurse of the Hebrew women that she may nurse the child for thee? Here's a young girl speaking to the daughter of Pharaoh who now is holding a baby that is crying that needs to be nursed. And God knows there was plenty of Hebrew women whose children were being extinguished who had breast milk, who were available to feed that child but it was her mother. This is divine providence. You see, when you think God has lost his mind, when you think God doesn't care, when you think God is not in control of the universe, as I always say as a pastor, the planets did not collide last night. They stayed on its axis. When you think God doesn't care about you, Divine providence and divine destiny is always in place. Because He knows. He watches. And He sees you in that ark, so to speak, going down the river of life. And He's observing and He's watching. Hey, you have no idea. How much is watered off of us during the course of a day, where the enemy wants to take us out? That the angels of God are fighting like an army to preserve our body, soul, and spirit. Come on, my friends. Come on and And Pharaoh's daughter said, "Go," <laughs> having a conversation with a young girl. And the maid went and called the child's mother. Hey, mom, I got you a job. <laughs> hey, mama, I found brother. Hey mom, it was amazing. That ark was going down the river. It was going fast mom. Thank God we did PT in the morning. Thank God, praise God, we have an exercise program. Thank God we're not so soft. that God, we got out of bed and we did something. Amen. Kids have become couch potatoes. Oh my goodness, right Electronic addicts. on. <coughs> when I came home from school... And when I came home from school, I had to carry eight or ten books with me mm-hmm. yeah. to do homework. Right. We didn't even have those straps in those days. <laughs> we had to carry books in two hands. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know how we make book covers? Paper, bag. paper bags. Paper bags. Yeah. Right. I love doing that. For some reason, I just love to make those covers out of that brown paper bag. Cool, eh? yeah, you draw we drop off our books. Mom would give us a glass of milk. Three or four Cookies. And there she said, Get out. <laughs> what? Get out. You know what that meant? Go play. Dinner is at 6 o'clock, and heaven forbid if you're late. Dad gets home at 6. We eat at 6. Don't be late. Why did my mom do that? We had school all day. And listen, young boys and girls, I never rode a bus. I went to elementary school, I went to junior high school, and I went to high school, and I never rode a bus to school. I walked, and sometimes quite a far distance when I went to junior high school, 259. In the cold, in the winter, in storms, in rain, I didn't have a bus, I had to walk, just saying. My mom put us out, why? To get rid of stress. We don't become couch potatoes. We didn't hang out inside. And when we ate dinner, we did our chores. And after dinner, we sat at the kitchen table and we did homework until it was done. Mm-hmm. That's called discipline. People say, how can you do that today? It's really simple. Institute the rules in your house. It's very simple. Who's the boss? Who's calling the shots? Who's in command? Who has presence? Praise God. Who has that presence of a parent to say, "This is what we're doing." There'll be no discussion. there's no negotiation, there's no argument. Come on. This is life. Hmm. So she goes home and she says, "Mom. "You're a baby. It's OK. And I got you a job. Not only did I get you a job, but Pharaoh's daughter said unto her, The mom, as she appeared, take this child away and nurse it for me, and I will give thee wages. What? Are you kidding me? Is this God moment? Is this divine intervention? Is this because God rewards the obedience of motherhood? (laughs) Listen, this is a miracle. That she would take that child for at least three or four years. In those days, they weaned. After three or four years. And the woman took the child and nursed it. And the child grew. Exodus 2.10. And she brought him unto Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. This is the sacrifice that Moses' biological mother had to make. And sometimes there's great sacrifices a mother has to make. There's great sacrifices. And Pharaoh's daughter called his name Moses and she said, because I drew him out of the water. Come into conclusion let me say this as we know Moses was to become a great man of God but he never would have arrived at that point if it had not been for his mother for his sister and for Pharaoh's daughter and later on in life his own wife who saved him That's a different sermon. We need mothers and grandmothers and sisters in our lives to help us as boys and girls to become great men and women of God and continue our posterity in Christ for generations to come. This is old-fashioned preaching, my friends. This is dinosaur preaching nowadays. That we would talk about family. That we would talk about motherhood. That we would talk about disciplining and training up a child in the way he should go. This is old school religion. But it was good enough for Paul and Silas, it's good enough for me. We have a challenge before us. And the challenge is going to be great for men and women in society and especially women who are now being harassed, made fun of, who are being devalued because they're women and because they want to be moms, perhaps in the days to come. What a shame, what a shame. I like to ask some of these women who are spouting this new religion of birth strike, how did you get to the place in life where you are? And who was it that changed your diaper? And who breastfed you? And who raised you up? Where is that person? That person is called your mother or your grandmother. And now you're dishonoring them and their maternal instinct and their maternal love for children. By saying to other women, shame on you. Shame on you for being a mother. Listen, the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. You hear what I'm going to say as I close. The hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. God bless you, and thank you for listening.